Okay, let's get started. Yep, we're back. It's the Bricks and Mortar podcast. Bricks and Mortar podcast will have to podcast about property. If you've got an interest in property, if you're buying, selling, renting, or investing in property, then you'll have something in the next 20 to 30 minutes that should spike your interest. Haven't been about for two weeks or so. Uh, We are just back from a holiday in Crete and we had a fantastic time. I had great intentions whilst I was out there in cracking out a couple of episodes and getting them out to you. But unfortunately, uh, the Uzo, the Raki and the Sun put paid to that. Uh, We were staying at a place called Matsi Apartments. It was a fantastic spot. We were right next to the beach. We had our own pool as well. But one of the fantastic things that the hotel did for us was was do some towel art. And I don't know if you know anything about towel art. I certainly didn't know much about towel art. But it's all about creating some sort of artistic masterpiece from the the towels that you leave in your bed so uh, during our two weeks stay stay, uh, the towel art went from an elephant I think we had a tortoise we had an alligator we had uh, a couple of tortoises had a couple of swans and uh, various um, beautiful art pieces that they made from uh, the the sheets Um, when we got the went into the room I thought to myself gosh they spent so much time in this towel art I just hope that they've actually cleaned the place and having said that it was absolutely spotless I had a great time there and uh, back to uh, the bricks and mortar podcast back to work on Thursday we arrived back at quarter to two in the morning on Thursday morning uh, only to be told that I had to hightail it up to Aberdeen and sit as a witness in a court action at Aberdeen Sheriff Court. Uh, It's been some 20 years since I've done any court work and it was quite interesting being on the other side of the desk having to give evidence in a a, a civil court action. I'll tell you maybe a wee bit more about that as the show progresses. I managed to get some training in on the bike and uh, yeah we had uh, a pretty <clears throat> a pretty good time. I'll tell you what we're going to do this week on the show is where we're at as far as the transaction is concerned is that we've reached the point where you should now have received the loan papers so I'm going to talk to you a wee bit about loan papers and what you can expect as far as that is concerned. Whilst I was on holiday, I did a a negotiation on a purchase price and it eventually went to a closing date, having done some (coughs) negotiations prior to going to a closing date. So I'll I'll tell you a wee bit more about that and go through the various steps. Because if you're listening to this and you're wanting to buy a property, it's probably quite good just to get an understanding and what better way to do that than actually going through a live negotiation. So we'll do something on the loan papers, we'll do a bit of live negotiation and then we'll we'll wrap the show up. Uh, I'll give you a bit about the 
outro before we do anything further and we've got a bit of a moral dilemma for you all out there so it was a moral dilemma that uh, myself and the rest of the family had and it would just be interesting to to get your take as to what you would have done but listen that's for a wee bit later on in the show so let's get cracking and let's go through the live negotiation so I'm going to take you through uh, this live negotiation the negotiation has been completed. I won't tell you the outcome of the negotiation. Obviously, you'll get that at the end. Uh, but su- su- suffice to say that we got instructions from a client. We noted an interest in the usual manner, found out exactly what the, the home report was, noted an interest, and uh, once we'd found out that there were no other notes of interest, then made the decision to, to put an offer we decided to go in at under the home report value as I normally advise most of my clients to do that. Uh, all about in a situation like this, not showing too much of your hand to the estate agent. So went in at under the offers over or under the home report price and they came back, the sellers came back and rejected that. So it was down to me to discuss that with the clients as to whether or not they wanted to increase their offer now normally what I would do here is increase the offer but only probably increase the offer to the home report Uh, but in this particular instance um, there was some information that we had gleaned from the estate agents which led us to believe that the sellers were keen to sell the property had been on the market for a month so we were right at that tipping point as to where it's more in the uh, in the hands of the negotiation is more in the hands of the purchaser than it is the seller but we were the the market that we were in was um uh, it was a, a coastal village on the east coast of scotland and uh, the the property was potentially going to attract a fair amount of interest so i mean my thoughts on this were as usual just to go up to the home report but in the end what we decided to do was to go and show a bit of our hand and put two grand above what the home report was we'd explained to them that this was a pretty good offer and in all likelihood um, there wasn't too much more petrol in the tank we decided that we would give them the silent treatment and not push the offer and uh, just wait for the estate agents to come back to me we had gleaned from the estate agent that they were the clear clients were wanting a quick sale and it was quite surprising that we actually got that information from them there was no need for the estate agents to do that and the way we managed to get that information was by just using the silent treatment and uh, it worked an absolute treat and they came back and, and gave us that information which really the estate agents have to say I thought they dropped a bit of a clangor there in giving us that information it certainly said to me that the sellers were probably more desperate than uh, than we initially knew as it turned out what had happened was that at the time the same day that we had increased our offer to two grand above the home report another note of interest was uh, was taken and the estate agents turned around and said well you know to give everybody a fighting chance then they were going to put it to a closing date 
I tell you what, that really annoys me when the estate agents say, you know, to give everybody a fair chance. Um, to me, what the estate agent should have done was to go back to their client and come back to us to confirm whether or not our offer was going to be accepted. Instead, what they decided to do was just set a closing date and give both parties an opportunity. And again, to say that both, you know, it's fair to give both parties, you know, the only person that's going to be winning out of this is the seller because as usual in a blind bidding situation they're going to get in excess of the the home report so the only person that's going to win of this out of this situation is obviously the the seller within either of the purchasers so the estate agents set the closing date um, I phoned up the estate agents just trying to get some further information as I would normally do trying to get a wee bit information about the sellers and also probably more information about the other party who had shown an interest. I was fairly confident that there was only going to be one other party who were going to put an offer and the estate agents, we managed to get the information from the estate agents that the uh, other party were cash buyers. Um, they weren't requiring a mortgage and my heart sank when I found that out because really when you're, you're up against a cash buyer then you know these the, the, the kind of of buyers that are cash buyers are ones that are more than likely not to really be too concerned about the value of the property and quite possibly bid well in excess of what we could possibly go to so i gave that information to my clients and uh, we decided in the circumstances what we would do is we would put an offer in at uh, £10,000 more than the home report value. So clearly that was an increase of something like £8,000 from our original uh, previous uh, highest offer. Um, my clients were going to be holding the property for uh, a considerable period of time. It is something that when I speak to my clients to discuss how much they should be putting in at a closing date, really the most important thing from my point of view is how long are they going to hold the property because whilst if they bid in excess of the home report at the moment, the property is immediately going to fall into negative equity until the market catches up. And the longer you hold the property for, then the more it gives the market to catch up. So if you're looking to try and flip the property quickly, the more you pay, then obviously the less likely you are going to be making a profit. But if you're holding the property for a considerable period of time, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily, it's not, it's not a great issue as to how much you bid over the home report, because ultimately what you're doing is you're taking your money out of the bank and you're placing it in the property. So you're just putting your money in a different home. You know, many, given the fact that we've just had a, a rate decrease of 0.25%, which will no doubt have an impact as far as uh, borrowing uh, and also um, savings rates are concerned, many would be considering buying property as in fact a better haven for your money than a bank at the moment. So we came up with a figure and we popped that in. At the last moment, we had a discussion as to whether or not we should be putting a small amount over the, the figure. 
um, as it was, we were £10,000 over the home report value and I'd suggested to the clients that they may want to stick another couple of hundred quid on just to try and knock out any other offers that were there or thereabouts being the £10,000. And that's that's what we did. We put an extra couple of hundred pounds on, put the offer in and we found out that we were the highest offer. Uh, so fantastic. Clients pleased as punch. But as I always understand, the clients will be wanting at a closing date, really. Yes, it's great to know that they've got the property. That's the main thing. But the next question is, by how much did I get it for? It, it is a conundrum. You, you're acting for a client and you're wanting them to get the property and on the other hand you want to make sure that you put that offer in so that it is yes competitive but you don't want to be telling your clients that you've bought the property and they've paid in essence too much for it but the great news here was that we beat the other party just by a couple of hundred quid which is absolutely fantastic. Client couldn't, couldn't have been happier. So when I told them that, then uh, they were pleased as punch. So great negotiation on this one. Uh, we managed to get the property at a closing date. And not only do we manage to get the property at a closing date, we also managed to get it at just a smidgen over what the other party was going, what uh, the other party offered. So fantastic negotiation. And uh, let's hope the next one that we do is as successful as that. So just to recap here, really looking at a closing date, what you want to be looking at is bidding potentially in excess of the home report value. Uh, how long are you going to look at the, how long are you going to keep the property? If you're going to keep the property for a long period of time, then you may want to edge substantially over the home report value. Remember, however, that anything over the home report value, you're going to have to fund yourself and you're not going to be able to get that money out of the lender. And then always a good idea just to think about putting a little bit extra just to try and knock out the other party. So do remember those things. If you need any advice, then please don't hesitate to get in touch. So we've reached the stage where you've got your loan papers and you will be able to give a huge sigh of relief because ultimately once you've got the loan papers then you've got the green light from your solicitor to conclude the contract. Your solicitor will have been holding off and holding off and probably being put under a significant amount of pressure by the sellers to conclude missives but any good solicitor is going to be advising you not to conclude missives until you've got the loan papers. So the loan papers, well, what are the loan papers going to, to say? Before we get on and talk about what the loan papers say, you need to know who gets the loan papers. So you get a set of loan papers, your solicitor gets a set of loan papers, and the broker gets a set of loan papers. The lenders will send you in the post a set of loan papers. They still aren't prepared, I don't think, to send these by email. The solicitors will also get them by pigeon post. Uh, again, very rare that a set of lenders are going to email those over to the solicitors. I'm sure it's got to come, hasn't it? 
Um, you know, we're living in a digital age now, and it just seems absolutely ludicrous that the banks and building societies are still holding on to paper documentation. The mortgage broker, well, we'll get those and we'll get those by email. So generally, we'll be the first to know that you've got your mortgage. And if I'm organising your mortgage, then we'll be contacting you to confirm just as soon as the loan papers have been approved. What do the loan papers say? Well, the loan papers are going to tell you how much your monthly payments are going to be. They're going to be saying to you how much money you're going to be borrowing. They're going to be telling you whether or not you get a cash back. They're going to be confirming the arrangement fee. And they're also going to be telling you if it's a fixed rate or some other rate that you're getting, what the penalties are. Your mortgage broker, if, as I say, if I'm organising your mortgage, then we will have sent you a mortgage illustration. And the mortgage illustration will be pretty much on all fours with the loan papers that you receive from the lender. So that's what's going to be in the loan papers. The solicitor gets exactly the same papers as you do, but there are a couple of things that the solicitor will receive that neither the broker receives nor the client, and that's the legal contract, which is called a standard security. I'll repeat that, a standard security. And that's the piece of paper that you as a purchaser are going to be signing. He also receives what's called a report and title or a certificate and title. And what that is, is really the solicitor's guarantee that he is happy with the title, happy that he's uh, examined all of the papers and is quite happy that the lenders now proceed to lend the money and transfer the funds over to the solicitor in order to get the transaction completed. So the solicitor, once they get the loan papers, you'll find well, what should happen if your solicitor is organised is that the loan papers should arrive about 10 days before the date of entry and the solicitor will be in touch with you to make arrangements for you to sign the paperwork or if you can't make it in to see the solicitor, then the solicitor will be asking you to attend his office to sign the paperwork. When I've been acting as a solicitor, I have also sent to the client at this stage a statement of account and the statement of account will, will detail the fees and outlays, uh, will confirm the purchase price and also the mortgage amount and at the bottom of the statement of account it will state how much money I need to get from the client. We normally, as solicitors, I would normally want at least a week in order to try and draw down funds. You can, if time is very, very pushed, get the funds from lenders pretty much within a 24-hour time frame. But don't, uh, don't be surprised if there is uh, that very tight time scale that your solicitor may charge you an additional fee in order to get the transaction completed. So the loan papers will contain the standard security. Um, that is the contract. 
so you're you're signing a contract between yourself and the lender and what you're saying to the lender is i'm going to pay the mortgage on a monthly basis you yourself can decide when you pay the mortgage during that month but as long as you pay the mortgage on a monthly basis then your property is not going to get repossessed rest assured however that if you don't pitch up with the money on a monthly basis then eventually your property is going to be uh, repossessed by the bank. Some banks will give you three hits and you're out. Um, some are a wee bit more conservative. Really, it's, it's down to you to speak to the lender. If you are, what I would say to you is do not, under any circumstances, bury your head in the sand. Because if you bury your head in the sand, uh, and you have financial difficulties then woe betide you because the bank's going to come down on you like a ton of bricks pick up the phone speak to them see if you can get something sorted out if you are uh, if you have got some some money worries i've said there that you can pay when you want it is a question that we get asked from time to time by clients when do i pay my mortgage Generally speaking, it's up to you as to when you pay the mortgage. Again, as long as you're doing it in a four-week cycle, a monthly cycle, then the banks aren't really too bothered when, during in that month, you actually make the payment. You'll find that the first payment doesn't actually come off your account for potentially anywhere between four weeks and six weeks really it's down to you to contact the lender to clarify from that lender when the first mortgage payment is going to be taken out i touched a wee bit there upon the standard security your standard security is the document that your solicitor is going to ask you to sign and the standard security will be typed up by the solicitor and either sent to you for you to sign with an explanation as to where to sign or you'll just pop into the solicitor's office and go through the procedure there so the standard security that's the contract and it confirms your name your address uh, it gives a legal description of the property it generally will read with a description so many properties these days are registered in the land register so for example it will say 127 main street flat 3 oblique 2 comma glasgow uh, g37nz being the whole subjects registered under title number gla123456 so that is the legal description and that is what the bank are relying upon in the event that they have to repossess the property they're taking a security over your property they're giving you money and they expect you to pay it if you don't pay it then expect the property to be repossessed and they do that by relying upon the contract that you've signed which is the standard security most standard securities will confirm how much money you are borrowing they will also in many respects confirm how long you're going to be borrowing that money for you'll sign it you'll need to get somebody to witness your signatures if you're signing if there's two of you and there's one standard security then two of you sign the one standard security and you'll only need to get one witness as long as you're doing it at the same time 
if you're buying a property on your own, you may need to sign what's called a matrimonial homes affidavit, which just confirms that the property is not a matrimonial home and that you do not have a spouse who has got occupancy rights to reside in that. Your solicitor will explain to you the reasoning why you have to sign such a document. But if you're not married and if you are buying the property on your own, you shouldn't have any qualms about signing that in essence if you don't sign it then the lenders ain't going to give you any money when you're in seeing your solicitor or when the solicitor forwards you to the paperwork they will also at that stage ask you to sign the lbtt form this is the old stamp duty form there is something like 70 odd questions that the solicitor will complete on your behalf but you need to sign that. I'll probably talk a wee bit more about the SDLT form at a later date, but just to say to you that of the three things, if you're an individual, the three things that you need to sign are your standard security, your affidavit, and your LBTT form. So you've toddled off to the solicitor, you've signed the paperwork, rest assured that the solicitor can not draw down or shouldn't draw down funds until the loan papers, the standard security has been signed. There have been some occasions where um, you can get the solicitor to draw down funds, but clearly the solicitor cannot use those funds until he has a signed security, a signed standard security in his hands. So there we go. We've got the standard security signed, an affidavit if you're single signed. Let's move on and talk about the report and title. The report and title is the confirmation that the solicitor has examined the titles and is happy to draw down funds. Now, he will draw down funds and there's a couple of caveats to that. He will not have got the final searches put in place and whenever I was drawing down funds, it was always on the basis that I would never allow settlement to take place until I was 100% sure that all of the legal work had been carried out, all of the searches had been carried out and were in satisfactory form. Sometimes you will get to the stage where you ask for the funds, the funds hit your account as the solicitors and sometimes there's something that comes up which means that the transaction cannot settle and what you then have to do is send the money back to the lenders. That doesn't happen on a regular basis, but does happen from time to time. So the solicitor signs the report and title and sends that off to the lender. Generally, it's done by fax and uh, generally the monies can be obtained very quickly. Uh, I think one of the lenders that was very good was Halifax. Uh, sometimes it can be a devil of a job trying to get some money out of the lenders because sometimes you are never 100% as a solicitor, never 100% sure that the, that the lenders actually had received the uh, report and title. And, and if you've ever had to deal with any lenders, you'll know that trying to, to speak to somebody in a call centre can be absolutely, absolutely torturous. So, report and title, 
trying to send that away sort of seven days before the date of entry. We get the money the day before the date of entry, giving us a wee bit of wiggle room in the event that there is going to be any delay. The money comes in the day before. It comes straight into the solicitors. It is a question we do get asked from time to time. Where does, who gets the money? So the solicitor should be sitting with the deposits and the fees and outlays from the client. And the, the solicitor will then wait for the money to come in. The money should come in the day before the date of entry. And the, and the solicitor will then send the cheque off to the sellers, the seller solicitors, and settlement should take place the following day. So that's the loan papers. It's probably one of the most important things. It prevents a solicitor concluding a contract and it really is the green light that the solicitor and the clients are looking for in order to tie up the missives. They are, it's incredibly important not to conclude missives until you've got your loan in place and you need to be aware, if you're not already aware, you need to be crystal clear that if you don't pay your mortgage then your property will be repossessed by the bank. So on that happy note, Hopefully you've gleaned a wee bit more about the loan papers, the standard security and how the money side of things work in a legal transaction. Okay, I'm going to knock this on the head. Uh, that's another podcast wrapped up. In the outro here, I said that I was going to tell you about our moral dilemma. Before I come to that... Again, please do get in touch with me. We're, we've got the website there, www the Bricks and Mortar Podcast. I've been trying to get us as, uh, up in the rankings as far as Google is concerned. And uh, if you do type in the Bricks and Mortar Podcast, then certainly the last time I looked, we were on the, the first three entries on the first page, which is encouraging. iTunes. Please, if you are listening to the podcast and you like what you're hearing, then do let me have a review on or place a review on iTunes. It would be great to hear what you've got to say as far as the show is concerned. And if you are good enough to to give us a rating on iTunes, then um, it really does help as far as the the SEO is concerned and, and gets us higher up the rankings as far as the iTunes is concerned. You can get in touch with me on the emails jgaw at gmail.com or you can catch me at work Jonathan Williams at begleybrown.co.uk. We're on the Twitters jwilliams underscore bb and also don't forget the Facebook which is the Bricks and Mortar. Just type into the search bar the Bricks and Mortar podcast and uh, you'll be able to join our Facebook page. I'm thinking about getting a video podcast done. It's going to be, I've been looking and doing a wee bit of research on that. I probably need to get a decent camera. I need to get some some lighting and uh, a couple of whiteboards. I'm talking to various um, photographers that I know, so really wanting to move that forward in the next month or so. And really what I would be doing is letting or 
producing a, a video podcast which would only have anywhere between sort of a five and eight minute piece on a particular aspect of the buying process or a particular aspect of the selling or mortgage process and really what I've been finding with my clients on the mortgage side of things is it's great to be able to say to them go to a particular episode on the podcast and that's maybe one of the reasons why I've decided to do the podcast is that so many of the queries that I get from clients are are very similar and whilst I'm delighted to speak to to the clients and explain to them about the nuances of their particular case I would rather talk to them about the nuances of their particular case and, and direct them to a more generalised discussion in the podcast. I can do that even better with a video podcast. So that's the idea moving forward, just trying to get that in place. So I said to you that we had just come back from holiday and it was a super holiday in Crete. We had a, a wonderful time. Uh, notwithstanding the fact that when we came back I had about two hours sleep before I had to get on a train at half past five in the morning to get up to Aberdeen Sheriff Court um, but on the last night and I don't know you're probably listening to this and uh, when you're on holiday you will have eaten at various restaurants and what you decide to do is you have a discussion with your family and you choose what restaurant you want to go to so we chose the best restaurant we went to the restaurant had a super meal and i guess as with most things when you are having your last meal on holiday you push the boat out you have a wee bit more food than you normally do you probably have an extra round of drinks and that's that's what we did so the bill came out to us and we had the bill and the bill was only 66 euros and we'd been eating out for around about 70 euros so it was strange that the bill was as light as this because we'd all had uh, sweets desserts and we'd had an extra round of drinks and so I was looking through the bill and the bill didn't have the desserts and it didn't have the additional round of drinks so the two girls are there and one of them says right grab our coats we're out of here and the other just threw a complete wobbly and said absolutely not we're not leaving the restaurant until we pay the full bill and she was absolutely adamant that she was going nowhere hands on the the table and she was thumping them up and down absolutely adamant as i say that uh, we had to pay the full bill and there was the dilemma and i don't know if you've ever been in in that dilemma normally it's the other way around where they've probably the restaurant have added on too much i don't think i've come across a situation where the restaurant has actually undercharged us what would you do would you grab your coat maybe give them a bigger tip that's something that crossed our mind that we would give the restaurant or the waiters a, a bigger tip um, that was close to what the full bill was that might have been an answer um, or do I go up and uh, say the bill's wrong and and see what they say about that it was very very interesting the two the two girls who are 12 and 14 uh, 
we had a healthy argument if I can say that and in the end what we decided to do was we decided to to go up or I decided to go up and speak to the manager and do you know what he did he ended up saying he was in fact flabbergasted I think that we had been as honest as we were and uh, he said listen thanks very much for doing that and what he did was he said listen you pay for the the desserts and have the the round of drinks on us so it was a win-win and great to be able to go back to the two girls and, and say to them listen we've been honest and the the restaurant have acknowledged their mistake and uh, they've given us a round of drinks so it was uh, it was all all very good uh, that was until we ended up walking back home and what we normally do is we get a fridge magnet a tacky fridge magnet and we went into this shop and as um, number two was looking for the fridge magnet one of the fridge magnets fell to the floor and smashed and there was the second moral dilemma that we had if the fridge magnet smashed what would we do would we tell the owner of the shop what had happened or would we just sidle out of there and do a, and do a runner um, we didn't need to make a, a moral judgment on that one because the owner of the shop was was there and had seen what had happened had come over and was incredibly grumpy and wanted an explanation as to what had happened um, but hadn't asked for uh, us to pay for that and what we ended up doing was obviously buying another fridge magnet and we ended up I think spending more money than we were expecting to just as some sort of compensation and I thought well that's it again it looks as if everything has, has sorted itself out but not in the eyes of, of number one daughter um, she decided in the circumstances that number two daughter had been a hypocrite and there was one hell of an argument as we uh, as we went home and all I, all that happened in the end was that I got in the neck for being such a bloody fool in raising the topic the, uh, at the restaurant that we had been undercharged so all in all it was a pretty disastrous last dinner but again what would you do would you have done a runner or would you have held your hand up and paid the restaurant so I'm going to get out of here a uh, sorry that it uh, has taken two or three weeks to get another episode out there I'm still looking for people to come on to the show so I'm going to try and get a couple of letting agents on and see if we can get somebody from Corum or somebody from uh, Hap Lettings or indeed somebody from Vanilla Square I'm sure we'll get somebody and uh, we'll come back to you next week you've been listening to the Bricks and Mortar podcast a sideways look at property